0: Feels good to be a gangster. Just let that play for a little bit here. As we enter the Nasser Alexander Kucheki Studios, named for a man who was indeed a gangster. Here with The Right Hosh, episode number eight. I'm your host, Michael Bolton, along with Peter Gibbons and Samir Nagahinajar.
1: Mr. Samir Nagahinajar.
0: Not going to work here anymore anyway. (laughs) And we are happy here to bring to you this episode. Every two weeks, we've been pretty consistent with it ever since we got back into our groove and lots of soccer to talk about, hopping across the pond. I, of course, lied about our identities, just sticking with the theme of the intro. Luke Carney, Alex Thompson, Rob Jordan here with you. And just it's been it's been an office space type vibe, at least the last last few days for 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 us here in the studios, just with with uh, March Madness and. A lot of the a lot of the fun stuff going on, and it's 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 kind of every year when Alex and I have the March Madness summit, it it kind of resurfaces, and it it kind of rubs off on our programming for a little bit. So that's why you heard that entrance entrance song today, and that's why you heard that intro. So well, welcome, guys. Hope it's not a case of the Mondays today
2: here as we record. It's it's our version of SEC on CBS for you football fans out there. Um, <laughs> that's it's what it's what gets us hyped, especially like you said, especially around March Madness um also also been some madness uh, uh across the pond as as we will dive into uh in this show but it is uh not to be outshined by March tournaments here in uh, the states
0: yeah I just want to top of the show here just want to thank everybody who joined our March Madness right hash bracket smash we got some really good participation and a lot of brackets are smashed right Right now, but many of you still have your champion and much of your final force. So uh, look for uh, look for updates. Keep checking the uh, page on on our Twitter, um, and also tune into the Right Hash. Uh, check out some of the latest episodes. Uh, we just had one last week with Connor Lily, and a lot has happened in, in NFL free agency since we last talked about it. So you can go make fun of our our, our freezing cold takes there. Um, but Rob Jordan back from out of the gutter, where where we usually yank him out every once every couple of weeks. Um, and of course, uh, Arsenal still being on top doesn't doesn't really hurt things, I guess.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't quite describe it as a gutter. I'd say I'm more floating on cloud nine and had to get me to come down. But uh, as of right now, uh, you know, I don't think there's any coming down for Arsenal here soon. Uh, but, uh, you know, we will get more into the fixtures here uh, that are upcoming. And um, like you guys mentioned, since our last podcast, uh, a lot of wild things have happened, not just in the premiership, but uh, in the FA Cup race. Uh, as well as uh, Champions League and Europa League, which uh, looking forward to discussing all of the above.
0: And we also had El Clasico yesterday, uh, Barcelona defeating Madrid, who defeated Liverpool in the uh, UCL quarterfinals. So I can't make too much fun of them, but I will make fun of them at some point. And uh, we'll also have a discussion topic today. Uh, what what other European leagues do we think are the best? Because we trashed the uh, the French league last show, or kind of Rob did uh, the the Farmers League, if you will. Um, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna expand that conversation a little bit today. Um, but uh, I, just just opening up here, I, I I was very very happy with the last game, the, the last show with Liverpool's performance on the day of the recording, and it was a seven nothing win over Man City at Anfield. And then lo and behold, a few days later, they go to Bournemouth who is currently 19th on the table and lose one to nil continuing this just absolutely bipolar performance and of course goes without saying that they took that negative performance into the UCL second leg in which they had little chance uh, against Real Madrid in Madrid so that was that was a 6-2 aggregate Liverpool eliminated from the UCL but right now I just need to get back there and the Reds are currently at 6th with 42 points following that loss to Bournemouth and we're entering the two-week international break now so it's it's going to be a long two weeks uh, for Mo Salah and Jurgen Klopp and company. At least I think so.
2: Yeah, I, I would say biggest thing for for Liverpool uh, is staying in Champions League qualification. Not not even just because of qualifying for Champions League, but with the the the, the cutthroat nature of transfer windows in the summer and all the money flying around, uh, it really hurts your standing with some of the big available uh, transfers if you're not playing in the champions league. So not only is it important to be playing there next year to hope to win one, but uh, it's also really important to be there to attract the talent, such as Jude Bellingham, who uh, I just saw this today. It looks like Liverpool may be somewhat out of the running uh, it, it in no small part because of their, Uh, questionable UCL standing for next year. It sounds like it's a City-Real Madrid race uh, coming up this summer, but um, it's not something I had really thought of until I saw Jude Bellingham, uh, at least the news. It's not like he came out on TV and announced, this is what I'm looking for, but uh, everyone involved kind of hinted that that was at least part of the reason maybe Liverpool are no longer at the front of the line. If you uh, listen to our other show, The Right Hash, our, our
0: American football show, that's it's what it's known as a recruiting tool. It's like going to a bowl game or going to the NCAA tournament. And you can tell recruits, hey, we, we get this competition. So a uh, little, little translation between the, uh, the codes there. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I it's really weird to me. We talked about this last show um, that Liverpool really had a light amount of EPL games. In the uh, in the month of March, had one with Fulham that was postponed. Not sure if it's been rescheduled, but uh, going into this break, which which everybody gets now, Liverpool is a little bit has, hasn't been playing quite as much. Um, I, I, and then their first game, Alex, of course, is going to be against Man City on April Fool's Day of all days.
2: For first of April, as they say, first April, I think, is how they say it over there across the pond. But yes, April Fool's Day. Um, Hoping we don't get fooled.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, for for your Reds, Luke. I mean, that uh, dropping that one nil uh, defeat to Bournemouth, uh, that was a real, that was a real momentum changer. Because uh, you know, you guys now have Newcastle that are back on the bounce. They had two wins in a row, uh, and Newcastle are ahead by five points, uh, same amount of matches played, and uh, a couple more. Uh, gold differential points there. And uh, Brighton has one game in hand on you guys and has the same amount of points. So, um, that was really a match that you guys didn't want to drop. And you know, it's certainly not over. Um, you know, obviously, you mentioned the Fulham match got postponed. So, you know, there's about 11 matches left for Liverpool in the EPL. Um, so they can certainly uh, make a concerted effort and a push. To the uh, get into the UCL qualification spots, Um, so it's still open for them. But you know they're only making it tougher on themselves. But uh, if anything, the silver lining of that is, um, you know, uh, I think a motivated Liverpool with their backs to the wall is a very dangerous team to play uh, for any club in the Premiership. So um, you know, hopefully Klopp inspires. you know, some changes there at Liverpool and uh, they can finish it out. We'll, we'll see. And there are a lot
0: of games to be played still <laughs> Liverpool two uh, two spots out uh, five points out. Uh, they, they still have Tottenham on, on the schedule, you know, who, who's ahead of them. Um, they play seven games in April. So it's not like they're not going to have chances. And of course they play Chelsea in the second game right after that Man City game, which should be an easy win, uh, I hope. But then it's Liverpool and Arsenal on Sunday, April 9th, which will be a, a, a I wish that game was 11 days later. That would be perfect. Um, but then, then it's Leeds and Nottingham Forest and West Ham and before they close the month with Tottenham at home. So it, I, I kind of feel like just looking at the schedule, I'm going to be seeing more of this Jekyll Hyde performance uh, just because this team really seems to play up to the strength of its opponents and then down to the weaknesses of, of its poor opponents.
2: It, it's I think we've discussed it on the show. To, to me, it's just the midfield of Liverpool. It's not consistent. It's, it's, it has its good matches. It has its bad matches, but the problem is it doesn't contribute to goal scoring. It relies way too much on uh, the skill at the wing to do a lot of the the assisting and just being involved in goals. Um, And that's not how Liverpool won the premier league. Um, That's not how, you know, Mo Salah got set up for his humongous season a couple of years ago. It wasn't all just him. Um, And that's, that's, to me, that's what Liverpool have to have to solve in, in, you know, summer, uh, at the, but at this point, you just kind of have the hope your talent takes over. And, you know, t- Tottenham have played two more matches in Liverpool, so um, a potential six-point swing there. Um, Tottenham usually disappear this time of uh, <laughs> the year as well. So uh, Newcastle, to me, Newcastle and Brighton are the, are the big threats, which sounds weird just talking about Liverpool from the last couple of years. But uh, that, that's, that's really what Liverpool needs to do I think going forward, they're going to have to find someone that's not Jude Bellingham, maybe Declan Rice, uh, maybe Calvin Phillips from City. sounds like he might be available. Um, They've they've got to get someone who can contribute to goal scoring. Speaking of Tottenham, we we talked a little bit
0: this morning about uh, Conte just, or as we call him, Coach Cunt, Uh, just calling the team out. Um, And then we talked a little bit about Harry Kane uh, just kind of being trapped there a little bit and and Rob this is you brought some interesting perspective here because you were th- you were saying it doesn't I don't care what he does at the club level as long as he keeps just scoring goals for the three lions
1: yeah I mean like i had alluded to it uh when we were doing our world cup episodes uh back in December which feels like forever ago but you know it, it is a real thing where there are certain players that you know they They do pretty well for their club or decent, but, you know, maybe don't achieve as much at the club level. But whenever they play for their country, it's like night and day and they're like a completely different player. Obviously, they're uh, they have different players surrounding them. And, you know, sometimes certain teams, uh, you know, a good example is a Germany. Right. Um, Last World Cup wasn't a great example, but traditionally, um, you know, they have great team chemistry. Um, uh, Brazil is another example of that, but yeah, I mean, Harry, like I said, off air, uh, I think Harry Kane's one of those players where, you know, I do respect, you know, despite the fact that he plays for Tottenham, it took me a while. I'm not going to lie for Harry Kane to win me over, uh, cause he did play for Tottenham, but, you know, you know, once he won the golden boot for England and, you know, he, he really led the three line squad with class, uh, and is a great leader for that squad, Um, You know, I have the utmost respect for him. And, you know, in the day and age we live in where, you know, players are actively looking at a payday, which, listen, uh, I'm not going to hate on any man uh, for getting their money. You know, go get your money, do what's best for you and your family. Uh, But, you know, uh, players are being transferred in and out, you know, year to year, club to club, you know, rivalries don't matter as much. And I think that's not. You know, just with soccer, right? Um, that's with any sport. You know, we're seeing this in the NBA, NFL, and the US side as well. But uh, yeah, Harry Kane, I think he's one of those few players that truly has uh, club loyalty to Tottenham, which I certainly respect him for doing that. But, you know, if he's one of the players that he'd sacrifice and have mediocrity at a club level um, to, you know, have absolute glory and win it all um at the international level so um you know that's that's what we're hoping for here or maybe he just has like
0: a secret jewish relative we don't know about he needs to stay loyal to the ids
1: uh, i mean sure i
0: don't know that's <laughs> throwing that out there i, 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 I don't know i, I would like since since one of one of my friends nolan evans is a big tottenham fan i would i would like to and i i root against them just to spite him i would love to see harry kane in another uniform at some point but I I think you summed it up quite well. I
2: I would say for for those of us who are uh, American and listening to this show, uh, Harry Kane is essentially Premier League Damian Lillard. He puts up all the numbers that all the stars do. He's never going to win anything because he refuses to leave his club. It doesn't matter if Sun's there, uh, you know, uh, Serge Aurier. uh, They have had good enough teams and they've had good enough managers. There is something from within that, that is wrong. And that is what Conte was calling out. He, he called out management. He called out uh, he, he called out a lot of folks in that building. Um, not, not just the, the players. And to me, you go through Jose Mourinho, you go through Antonio Conte and, you know, you don't win anything whatsoever of value, never even push for the premier league, really uh, that there, there, there's something sour within. And that, that's the reason I made the comment is because I'm uh, yes, he certainly would trade any shred of domestic success for international success. This isn't me throwing shade, but that seems extremely difficult to do. He, he has been in better shape uh, maybe had better players around him on the England squad at times than he does now, although they're very deep right now. um, I, to, to me, I, I think you have to go win something. I it's an individual sport is kind of what he's made it. He's just chasing, tottenham records uh chasing english records for the most part too but uh i would like to see him go win something before it's too late for him to contribute kind of like carmelo anthony here carmelo anthony got to a point where he wanted to win so bad but he couldn't because he was you know he he, he was he was past his prime he couldn't handle and he couldn't contribute he lebron please go win me one or i'm not going to have one and i i just don't want that for harry kane because i like harry kane
1: yeah, no, I mean that's uh that's a completely fair point. And I mean I, I agree with that too. Like I certainly want him uh to win more at the international level. Obviously he has a World Cup golden boot, uh, which you know the only other English player to do that in recent history was Gary Lineker. And, you know, he's revered as a football legend um in England, but you know, that's the downside to Gary Lineker was that, you know, at the international level, that's the only thing he achieved. Right. And he was an amazing player for the three lines. So uh, uh agreed. I, I think that starts with um you know, the upcoming euros here, you've got a very strong squad uh, and then going right into the world cup after that. And, you know, I think that will be his, you know, p- people saw the messy effect in this previous world cup where, you know, Lionel Messi was like, hey, this is it. We're going for it this time. Um, You know, I I think that's some people perform better under pressure. And, I mean, I I couldn't trust anyone more uh, with a cool head under pressure than Harry Kane at the helm. But uh, back to club football now. We can pontificate on international stuff, uh, you know, maybe later in the summer.
2: Three years.
0: When's the next gold cup? That's when, that's when, uh, that's when the Americans will start caring again. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, we, we did want to, we did want to touch on something else today within the premier league. And that was of course the namesake of this show. We, we've, if, you, if you're, if you're clever, you've probably figured out that the name of this show is a play on the name of our original show, the right ash, but it's the two A's, not because we want to seem European, but because we uh, just named it after Erling Holland. That was uh, it just kind of fit. Um, because Alex is a Man City fan and of course an Erling Holland fan and well he he had quite the uh, quite the performance uh, since we last talked so I'll just I'll just open the floor to Alex because this was one of his big talking points today
2: man it, it's been it, it's just been been fantastic to see the <laughs> the, 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 the city squad finally putting some uh, offense together uh, we've won that the games that we have won recently have felt like it's been 2-1 one nothing just not what you would expect out of City from the last couple of years. Adding Erling Holland, and um, it, it seems like a we're finally healthy. You got Ruben Dias back; that's been huge on the back line. Kevin De Bruyne is you know back, back in form, um, but we're 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 starting to use the the attack better it, for the after the World Cup. For some reason, we went back to the same system of. OK, sometimes we're going to be three back. Sometimes we're going to be five back. Sometimes we're going to be regular four back. And, you know, s- sitting, passing the ball 400 times a match like we had a false nine the last five years. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it took this long, but we started playing like we have not a false nine. We have maybe the best nine in the world at certainly right now, I would say, um, and just started whipping it in there see what happens and that that guy has a nose for the ball he catches every rebound um you know he's he's phenomenal he scored eight goals in four days and i mean we're talking fa cup quarters and ucl quarters uh in in the second leg of a of a aggregate that was one one coming into it so the first matchup versus leipzig was not uh was not easy they played us really well and um i I, I, can't, I can't put my finger on it other than they just it's, it looked like they stopped trying to think too much they just put balls in behind let let him run to them you go get a corner out of it if not you create a dangerous chance make them think about it a little bit later and before you know it dude had three or four goals you know but before halftime and he came back out he scored two more tied Messi, uh tied Messi's uh ucl record for five ma- uh five goals in a match and uh it sounds like Pep took him out on purpose because he didn't want Messi to break. I mean uh, Holland to break Messi's uh, record. So uh, he, I think he could have had more. He could have had more against Burnley as well. Um, it, it's nice to see them back in form. What scares me is now we go on another two week break for some international stuff. Um, Holland gets to participate this time. He just kind of had to sit at home. Uh, during the World Cup because Norway wasn't in there, but Norway has, uh, you know, has a match or two. Um, so that that's where I'm holding my breath. Just please make it through the the international break, the next, what is that, 11 days, no injuries, and keep your form so that we can hopefully grind out the last, uh, you know, 10 matches or so of the schedule. I don't have any delusions right now about catching Arsenal, um, but I don't think that's City's uh, goal right now. Uh, City is definitely thinking about Champions League and uh, it's it's set up pretty well for them there's not really a squad here that I think is better than them unfortunately I think they drew the next best squad in the UCL remaining in um, uh, Bayern so it's going to be interesting but Erling Holland has made this week this last couple
1: of matches a lot of fun to watch most definitely I mean we we've talked off air about you know, who are the baby goats? And, you know, we, you know, it. a clear front runner right now is killing Mbappe for obvious reasons, right. Um, you know, really carrying the French squad internationally and, uh, you know, being a big part of PSG, um, carrying them even before uh, Neymar and uh, Messi got there. But, uh, you know, Erling Holland. I mean, if he continues this form, I mean, I could see him getting over, you know, 50, maybe even reaching the 60 goal mark uh, through all competitions in one season, which is absolutely ridiculous given the fact that, you know, he went through a dry spell um, for, you know, consecutive matches. Right. And, you know, that that's credit to him. And, you know, I'd love to see what Erling Holland can do. And for context as well, I mean, you know, people shouldn't overlook the Burnley 6-0 victory by Man City. Burnley for context are sitting at the top of the championship, which is the division directly under the EPL and they're 13 points clear. Um, at the top, there's, and Burnley is not a bad squad and Man City absolutely made them look like, you know, it was Varsity versus JV. You know, uh, so you know, credit to not just Erling Haaland, um, you know, he's really hit his stride, but no credit to Pep, um, you know, finding the right formula, getting right players in the right moments, and um, really hitting their stride.
2: Just a, a couple of statistics real quick. Um, Holland has, if he keeps up this rate, uh, which is a goal every 75 minutes or so of game time, um, he will have 41 goals at the end of the season, which will be the premier league record, regardless of how long the season was not a, a 41 or a 38 game. He, he will have broken both. Um, he currently sits with more goals in the premier league than Southampton, Bournemouth, Everton, West Ham, Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace, and Chelsea. Um, he is, he has scored more than all of those clubs have in premier league play, um, and near, he scored 28 goals to the rest of Man City's 39. So he is having not, not, not just an insane season, but a season that uh, the, the storied Premier League has never seen or is getting close to one that we have never seen. And it's his first year in the Premier League. He's still very much adjusting. We went through a very down period where Holland was maybe netting a, a goal every other game, which for him was a, a really low rate um it, it it's it's just been a lot of fun i hope it keeps up and i'm, I'm excited going forward uh sounds like city want to sit down with him and uh give him more money uh, and, and work on some of his work on some of his contract when it comes to uh release clauses and such which i don't blame them i would want to keep him uh as long as possible too so throw all the money at him Let, let's keep it going
1: yes pay that man Whatever he needs, because uh, he'll certainly be a staple for Man City and the EPL for seasons to come here. And, you know, just touching on Champions League real quick, Alex, for Man City. Uh, yeah, you guys definitely got the, the other best squad uh, in the tournament uh, for the next draw uh, being Bayern. And, you know, arguably, I'd uh, say that Bayern have been the most successful in Champions League other than Real Madrid um, as of recent years. But, uh, you know, if anyone owns the Bundesliga, it's Mr. Erling Holland. So uh, you've got the perfect weapon uh, to take him out. And um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if the Bayern players get some PTSD from his time at Dortmund and, uh, you know, he nets a few more against them.
2: Here, here's the thing that scares me about the matchup. One. They blanked PSG in both of their matchups in, in the UCL, both legs. They blanked them. PSG did not score a goal. Uh, and Bayern had a red card in uh, leg one. Still didn't score. Um, second is uh, there. There's a, there's a couple of very talented former City players on this Bayern squad. Uh, Leroy Sané and Joao Cancelo, if he gets to play. Um, I think both of those players, not that they'll have a vendetta against City, but if they do get the, the play time, they do get the start certainly will have a little bit extra to play for just because that's where they came from. Joel Cancelo obviously leaving because he didn't think he was getting enough play time. Funny to watch that turn out at Bayern and he's still getting benched. Uh, maybe it's you pal, but it, it, if he, if he gets to start, he's the kind of guy that I could see just t- tearing a hole through our midfield, doing something insane. He's done it at city. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit on edge about Joel Cancelo to be quite honest with you, but other than that, if we beat Bayern, I mean, if they're the best team here, we, we were going to have to beat them at some point anyway. So, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, crying about the, the draw or whatever. If you're the best team, you don't have anything to cry about. Go be the best team, you know, otherwise you're not. It, it doesn't matter. Either you are or you're not the best team. It doesn't matter who you play against. Sorry, I was muted there for a sec. I, I, I just, it's, it's just such a great problem
0: for you to have because my team is no longer in the Champions League and, and it's like, it's like a, a first world problem. Like, oh, we're still in, but we still have to, we have to play the best team. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I wish my
2: team was still getting matched up with, with the toughest team in the field, but I'm just, I'm just being a bitch. I mean, Sure. Sure. You, you definitely hope. I mean, it's like, it's like March madness seeding. you know, you, at the end of the day, you, you, you hope to be able to beat any of the one seeds, but you really do kind of hope someone beats them for you um, so that you don't have to do it and you can go beat up on the small team. Um, but. Like Florida Atlantic did last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like Tennessee's getting the benefit of, we don't have to play Purdue. We get to play FAU instead. Um, it, I, I understand it here, but. You, you can't hide in the champions league that the, there is there's no easy path no matter what you do there's no easy path might as well go ahead and take the big dogs out yourself it, if anything it'll make the other teams a little bit more intimidated of you possibly and maybe make the, the the resulting games a little bit easier
0: and alluding to earlier in the show it'll want to make the best players come play for your team uh, that 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 goes without saying I guess
2: um, just be, just being able to play in it yeah it's that's what all the all the youngsters want these days they just want to go play for a UCL who who can blame them who
0: can blame them but UCL uh, just kind of encompassing all you know all the all the be, the best teams from the best leagues and last show we, we 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 hit the ending hard because Rob Rob had a lot to say about League One in, in France and PSG and know we just we just took took a little shot at psg a couple minutes ago too
1: you've got to remember that these are just simple farmers these are people of the land
0: the common clay of the new west uh and plenty of that on on this show of course uh because we we just don't like them but but we also we also came up with the discussion topic of like what other european leagues or what european league do we think is you know the most the the best out of you know other than the Premier League because we mostly talk EPL on this show because all the teams we root for are in the EPL but you know we, we do want to open this up a little bit and and then there are a lot of a lot of fun leagues and great teams out there and we just kind of wanted to bounce it off the walls and uh, you know we'll just we'll just I don't know Rob i will go to you first um, did you did you have any thoughts on on this particular topic?
1: Yeah, I mean it. So the nature of the question is you know you got to understand like what is the other best league right now? Because, you know, different leagues go through different cycles, right? Um, I'd say as of right now, level of what I'm judging it based on is the quality of the top teams and how many top teams there are um, that are not only competitive within their own league, uh, but in any type of, you know, international competition, be that friendlies, um, Europa League, Champions League, you know, you name it. Um, it's For me, it's really a toss-up between Serie A in Italy and Bundesliga in Germany. I'd side more with Serie A um, purely because, again, the amount of uh, quality sides that are in that uh, respective league. Um, you know, it's no disrespect to the Bundesliga. That is, you know, uh, certainly a tough league, but You know, once you get past uh, Bayern and Dortmund, you know, you have your stalwarts like, um, you know, Union Berlin, uh, Wolfsburg, who, you know, I I don't know. I've always liked Wolfsburg. Their fans are crazy, um, but I don't really watch much Bundesliga. But, you know, once you get past the top, you know, four or five teams in Bundesliga, you know, that it it does there is a, a drop off that starts, whereas Serie A, you know, you got. AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus, Uh, Roma is surging with Jose Mourinho at the helm. Um, Napoli um, is on a historic streak right now. Uh, They've made it to the um, quarterfinals of the Champions League, which they've never done uh, in their history. And, you know, regionally, you know, Napoli is the big team of southern Italy that everyone gets behind, whereas, you know, most of the success has been in the north where most of the money is. Um, so you, you know, just I just rattled off six very quality teams, uh, that could be anyone in the Champions League. Um, so my vote is for Syria, but open to discussion.
2: Yeah. I, if you would have taken a transcript of my thoughts, Rob basically just said them. Um, the, the only, uh, I guess, qualifier I'll add there is. The Bundesliga is my favorite to watch, but I do agree the Serie A is the second best pro. I think the second best league right now. I mean, like you said, uh, the, the, the best teams in Serie A are typically you know Inter Milan, Lazio, uh, Roma sometimes, but the two squads still left in the Champions League are AC Milan and Napoli. Um, and that <laughs> not Napoli's Napoli's got a hell of a squad too, especially up top Victor Osimane and. Uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name, the Kovartish Scalia. I, I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is he scores. Both of them are responsible this year for 30 uh, goal contributions. And when you have that out of an attack, they're they're going to be scary. The, the, the issue and why it changes, why I like what Rob said at the beginning, is you have to look at it at a point in time, is at the end of the day, you know the three of the leagues. Uh, actually, I would say two. I- Italy and, and and Germany are, for better or worse, feeder leagues for the the Premier League. All the best players from there typically wind up in the Premier League in some form or fashion. We saw it with with Holland. But some guys go back there when they're just not quite ready, but they can still they still have a lot of talent in both of those leagues. Um, so. They're almost one A one B for me. I would say Serie A is better. Bundesliga is a little bit more fun for me to watch. Just as a as a non football fan in the past, uh, the BVB Dortmund logo was always what I associated with "quote unquote" soccer as an American. Uh, you know, just Marco Royce rocking that thing on the front of of a FIFA. Um, it, it's what I've always associated with it. And you know, since Ronaldo, Messi have left the you know La Liga. They, they haven't been the same. I, I think that their level of play is is below uh, as a league, those other two leagues. Even though Real Madrid did win the UCL, it's a very top-heavy league, in my opinion, very much like France. Um, I don't even think France is the fifth-best league. I think Eredivisie is better than the French league, personally. That's a discussion we can have here or another day, but I, I wouldn't even put France in the top five leagues, except for they have Messi and Mbappe and Neymar on one team, which netted them all of zero goals versus the bundesliga titans so read into that what you will
1: no i mean to that point uh i'd personally put the portuguese league over uh uh league one in france thank you just thank you. just pure just purely based on that point right there where i mean you know arsenal we we saw that firsthand where you know arguably i think arsenal played the better match uh against sporting but uh, you know they, they beat us fair and square and they were a quality side and you saw that in Mikel Arteta's press conference at the end where people were like oh are you surprised shocked this feet. he was like no they're they are very good side we had to prepare for them and you know uh, yeah i mean the portuguese league um, you know i'll give the french the pass where you know they're better than the dutch league i mean it's it's ajax every single year <laughs> in the champions league there um, but I mean, yeah, the very easy point in my opinion to make there for sure.
2: Glad you brought up Portuguese League, because I, I meant to give I meant to include them with the Eredivisie, So thank you for that. It's, especially the way Benfica played this year, man. Benfica was a that that they would have qualified for the UCL, I think, in almost any of the of the top five leagues. I'm gonna throw in a different angle too.
0: I mean, because I agree with like the most what most of y'all have said. Um, I'm also going to mention that the Spanish league for, for the same reason, but to me, Serie A and in and in, in Italy, it's the most woven into the fabric of the country. You know, they, there's all these teams in all these cities that are just, it's like, they're basically like, I don't even know how to put it, but they're, they're it's almost like college towns and universities. They're, they're an integral part of um, of how the town operates, how the city, you know, the people in the city, you know, feel and, 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 and stuff. So it's almost like a festive atmosphere on match day. I had some family members go to Italy and go to a soccer match. I can't remember where it was. I want to say they were in Florence, but it was almost like the game was secondary and the festival atmosphere kind of took over. And, and having uh, one of my best friends from high school who spent a lot of time in Spain said it was similar in, in Barcelona when he would go to to camp now to see Barca play. And, and so for that reason, I, I've always thought, kind of appreciated that angle from those leagues that that it, it's really out there for the pleasure of it, and the fans really just eat it up and enjoy it. Um, and, and I'm sure they live and die with the results too. But you, you don't necessarily see that as much. I think in in the EPL, it's a little bit more business like. It kind of has that same feeling of uh, North American sports, where it's like, all right, it's a Sunday, and my Sunday is going to depend on whether my football team wins or loses. So I, I've always kind of noticed that little difference between, specifically the Spanish and the Italian leagues and the rest of the European leagues, where it's it's just kind of a little bit more fun for, for lack of a better term.
2: Yeah. It still has kind of that pure grassroots backyard feeling to it, where the, the premier league kind of feels like the death star compared to the uh you know, the, 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 the rebel home planet. It's a little bit more earthy, a little bit more pure, a little bit more homely. Um, so I, I, I was thinking actually the same thing when we were coming up with, you know, this topic and what to say about it, that that's one of the things that I really do love about, um, I had a friend who studied abroad there for uh, a summer and uh, right around Fiorentina and got to go see Fiorentina and Juve and just absolutely raved about it sent me a couple of videos and you're right it's like a festival the, those folks don't get all completely bent out of shape over losing a match here or there as long as they're all having a good time and the match was competitive. It's really all they care about because that's it's like what their little it, it's what their areas of Italy literally revolve around during the week, um, you know, outside of making the best food in the world. <laughs>
0: and Italy is a much less homogenous country. If, if you know your European history, like, like Rob does, Italy is a much less homogenous country and is a much newer country and came from many smaller states. You know, and that happened a lot more recently than it did in say England or Germany. So you really see that come out when two teams from different parts of Italy play against each other.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I mean, I think yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think we're all in agreement here. Serie A is probably as of right now. um, You know, if you had asked me two or three years ago, I would have said Bundesliga. But you know, it just depends on. Uh, sometimes where the money is, but, you know, really just where the quality of play is. And, you know, you had made a, a point, Alex, to say that, you know, Serie A and Bundesliga, you know, are feeder leagues for the EPO. Um, that's one way to look at it. But it's also, um, you know, we touched on it last episode where, you know, a lot of league administrators are, um, you know, complaining that the EPL has too much money to spend. The Bundesliga and Serie A are, are a great way for the EPL to make money, loaning out our players to them, as well. So, um, kind of what you were saying, Luke. EPL is certainly more business-like, so it's more familiar to you know North American viewers that watch you know the NFL and the NBA. Um, but listen, at the end of at the end of the day, you know you got to spend money to make money, and you know we got pounds to spend in the UK, and the pound is still strong, so we. For a while, I think the EPL will still be on top.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, as as those two leagues specifically, I think you have to love the relationship with the Premier League. Uh, they very obviously respect the level of play enough to be able to judge the, the high-end star players in those leagues highly enough and, and say, you can do this at the Premier League. Uh, just, I mean, Holland is one of the recent cases, but, uh, everyone's doing the same thing with Jude Bellingham also off of BVB Dortmund. Um, and, uh, yeah, the premier league might have too much money to spend, but guess where they spend it all. They spend it all in the Bundesliga and Syria. They're not set. They're not spending it anywhere else. Uh, maybe Liga Portugal. It was Liga NOS. I don't know what it's called anymore, but, uh, Liga Portugal, um, get a lot of talent out of there too. But, uh, that they're certainly not complaining about how much money the Premier League spends when they're writing checks to their clubs, which, uh, which is really nice. And like you said, it's it's where a lot of young players uh, for the Premier League get loaned out. Uh, a lot of really good experience goes to those two leagues. You don't see a lot of. Uh, is Is Mateus Quindouzi on loan uh, in the French league, or was he sold from Arsenal?
1: Rob, uh, that I'm unclear on at the moment. Um... Yeah, uh, so I'm not sure. I can I can look it up here.
2: Anyway, he he's one of the only guys that I can think of from the Premier League that went to the French League, which is why I, I bring it up. I just haven't I haven't heard of too many that the Premier League openly says, "Yeah, go play in the French League. That's where you'll figure out how to play." Because that's that's not what happens. Either you get steamrolled by PSG, or you're you're playing against f- farmer teams, um, which the the farmer teams and the other leagues are just better. Uh, so I, I I love kind of the, you know it, it's a, it's almost like Big Brother Little Brother businesses. Uh, you throw your little brother a bone, he gives you all your good all your good stuff to keep you at the top. It, it's it's a great ecosystem. Well, with that in mind, and we you know the EPL
0: being the best league and Arsenal currently being the best team, I guess that makes Arsenal the best club in the world. Then doesn't it?
1: Currently, maybe. Well, uh, I mean, we're, we're certainly when we're playing at our best, um, you know, we, we certainly look flawless, but, you know, it, it's all about keeping our, you know, it, it's all about keeping that momentum going. And it's all about, uh, you know, can you keep it consistent? And, you know, this really, I keep hammering it the last few episodes, but this is really w- the point in the season where the great teams separate themselves from the decent teams and the good teams Um, because, you know, we we saw it where, you know, uh, Arsenal, we, it it is a little bipolar, right? Where, you know, we've all expressed frustration with our respective clubs um, where we can point out where, you know, there's highs and lows, right? Where, you know, we just suffered a defeat uh, in the Europa League, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, I think we were the better squad um, You know, overall during the match, you know, um, sporting certainly had their surges and were playing better than us at certain points, but uh, we did certainly get unlucky with, you know, less than 20 minutes into the match, um, two of our starting defenders, Tommy Yasu and Saliba both go off with injuries, so we immediately had to su- use two subs for them. And then when we get ahead with the Granite-Jacques goal, which was great, um, you know, we've made subs based on that and, you know, that, you know, credit to the uh, sporting player, I forget his name, but I mean, he caught Ramsdale slipping. It was a fantastic goal. I'm not going to take credit away from him. Uh, Ramsdale generally, you know, he's still very young. Uh, he's got a lot of great um, goalkeeping talent uh, in his skill level, but um You you know, I think his uh, maybe lack of experience due to age on the bigger stage showed there where, you know, he got caught off his line where, you know, someone like uh, Hugo Lloris, um, you know, uh, a seasoned goalkeeper, uh, even David De Gea from Man U, like they're not going to get caught slipping because they know um, how capable any team in those um, international tournaments are at any time from anywhere on the field. So. Um, But uh, I will say, uh, before I open the floor on Arsenal, uh, we are the heir apparent to the EPL, but what I can say with certainty is that we are the kings of London, which is a great thing to say, because, uh, you know, in first time in history uh, in the EPL, uh, we have not only been undefeated in every single away match, in any London team, but we haven't conceded a single goal in away matches. And uh, as far as the home matches too, um, we haven't lost to any London team. The closest we got to was um, drawing with Brentford 1-1. Um, so it, it's great. Um, it's a great little appetizer to call Arsenal the Kings of London.
0: It's like the, the big five in Philadelphia college hoops. You got uh, St. Joe's, Drexel, LaSalle, uh beating up on each other and then villanova just beats up on all of them it's kind of kind of the same thing
1: <laughs> yeah but it's like even like obviously the historical rivalries right with like you know fulham chelsea tottenham right yeah uh you know the, even the smaller clubs in london like crystal palace um you know we've defeated all of them as well so we are unequivocally the kings of london as of right now so that's a, a great thing to say we certainly have some matches uh, left here and uh, I'd love for us to at least finish the season being undefeated in play against any single London team.
0: London is unique too in, in European soccer because you really don't have any other city that has that many teams. I mean, you've got some cities with two teams, but you don't have any cities with that many teams and it's... it. it going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, it's one of those things that sets the EPL apart, right? Because you've got those inter-London rivalries and then you've got an inter-Liverpool rivalry or an intra-Liverpool rivalry and an intra-Manchester rivalry or derbies as I'm supposed to be calling them. Uh, But you don't really get as much of that in in other leagues. And you you also get the rest of the teams from the rest of England that hate the teams from London because they're from London.
1: Yep. Yep. The, the regional ties are certainly big as well. Um, you know, the North versus the South uh, that's usually the biggest one, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, everything's interwoven, but uh, you know, it's great to be on the winning side for once. Um, can't can't say I've been able to say that for Arsenal for a long time, but uh, it's certainly, certainly enjoying the ride where we're at it. And uh, you know, we're, we're certainly looking forward to the rest of the premiership. Um, our fixtures here, Uh, just looking at our schedule. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, there, there are, there's specifically a four game stretch where we will be playing away at Man City. Then we will be playing home against Chelsea, which Chelsea, uh, I know Luke, you hinted at it earlier where you're like, Oh, Liverpool, we should get a win against Chelsea. They're on the bounce now, now that that they're kind of, having a delayed effect that Liverpool have with all their transfers. Uh, You know, they've just won their last two games in the EPL as well as defeating Dortmund um, in the champions league, which is massive. So, um, you know, even playing at home against Chelsea, that's going to be a tough match. Uh, And then we have to play away at Newcastle following that. And then we host Brighton um, at home at the Emirates and, you know, Brighton, Uh, We're one-on-one with them on the season and they're a very dangerous squad. So those are, you know, those are four matches in a row uh, the end of April through mid-May that um, I think that stretch specifically is what will decide that will be the tipping point for Arsenal to make or break.
2: Breaking news, how the matches go at the end of the season will determine how the season goes thank you Rob no I'm just kidding uh but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it certainly is a valid point though not not to say that anyone has had a softer or, a, or a difficult schedule in the Premier League because you could lose any Premier League match you, you could lose any Premier League match we saw that with Arsenal escaping you know the the burnmouth match uh you know just victory from the jaws of defeat at the very last second Um, anyone can beat anybody. So, you know, I, I, I think all schedules down the stretch are difficult, especially if you have a couple of those squads that look like they're easy wins, but they're really battling to stay in the premier league and not get relegated. Those are some of the worst ones to play against because they have nothing to lose. They don't care about your knees. They don't care about, your your bodily health they want to stay they want to stay in the premier league um arsenal certainly has a, a couple of uh, a difficult squads down the stretch but uh for my money if you spin the wheel you play 28 matches and you land on 69 points i think you should just be given the premier league outright uh just just from that um i, I don't really see how city catches arsenal uh even if we win the game in hand They're still five behind have to play arsenal i guess you really city has to win that match and then hope arsenal slips somewhere because there's not anyone on the schedule that should beat arsenal especially you know get, getting some guys healthy uh you know gabriel jesus from the beginning of the season not even really contributing much to this uh premier league uh, table lead so um i think arsenal only really get better down the stretch man city is is sitting I I think the top two are what they are going to be. The rest of the movement is going to be three through eight, the rest of the way, uh, through the table. Um, kudos to Arsenal. I'm, I'm glad Arsenal has got back here. I don't, I don't dislike Arsenal at all. One of my, um, not, not favorite, but I I do like them because of the acquisitions of, uh, Jesus and, and Zinchenko in the off season. So, um, yeah. Uh, hope you guys lose down the stretch, but I don't think it's going to happen and kudos to you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, on that point as well, I obviously talked about, uh, in my opinion, what the hardest four match stretch will be um, in the title race, but um, you know, three weeks from now, Luke, uh, Arsenal, our gunners are coming to Anfield and Anfield is a very tough atmosphere to play in. Um, So kind of the point you were making, Alex, I mean, it, you know, it, it could happen, right? You know, we, we saw Man United get absolutely curb stomped by Liverpool at Anfield. And, you know, that really lit a fire um, for the red season uh, and got them surging again. So, uh, like you said, it could happen in any match. But, um, you, you know, the biggest concern for me, uh, you know, we, we have certain players getting healthy at the right time, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, we have lost, um, you know, very important players due to injury, um, you know, uh, most importantly here uh, in our defense, uh, which has been uh, a strong point uh, of strength for us. But uh, Tommy Yasu and is essentially out for the season like he he's not going to be out or He's not going to be able to make it back. Um, you know, the the medical staff at Arsenal you know, made the note that, you know, from personality standpoint, he's not someone who exaggerates things. And he was very concerned straight away with his injury, which is a knee injury. And, you know, as you all know, uh, you know, running around for 90 minutes, even half of that, that's a lot of wear and tear on your knees. So, um, you know, losing Tommy Yasu, that is a big blow to our defensive depth Um, and Saliba, which uh, you know, he has a lower back injury, which he went out. Um, he's still being currently assessed, um, out of all the injury news we have, he's the most optimistic. Um, but you know, the, the international break, um, is probably a blessing in disguise for that regards it gives him a couple more weeks to, uh, recover with the club, uh, cause he will not be making the trip with the French squad, um, this time around, uh, because of his injury. But, um, you know, if Saliba's out as well, I mean, that format stretch that I mentioned, that's the there's only two matches after that, and then it's the end of the season. So um, that is very, very important. Uh, the, the only other notable injury I'll say is Eddie Ninketia, uh, which, you know, he's out for the season as well. He had a very nasty injury, which, you know, I, I hope he makes a full recovery when he does. Um, but that's, you know, that's not going to be until later this year, like September or October. So he's out here, but like I mentioned, we're very fortunate with, um, Gabriel Jesus coming back into the squad as well as having Reese Nelson, uh, back fit and healthy as, um, you know, a backup for any attacking position and, uh, Trossard being fine from his injury scare as well. So, um, something to monitor going forward, but, um, You know, I'm pessimistically optimistic. Uh, I don't know if that is a thing, but uh, that's where my head's at right now. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Earth-shattering news.
0: (laughs) Sounds like something Tennessee fans would describe
2: themselves as. No, we're pessimistically pessimistic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you said – well, I was going to say Tennessee fans, England fans, tomato, tomato.
2: (laughs) No, tomatoes are red. Tennessee is orange. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't orange Naranja. I, yeah, I don't, you can't compare that. Um, <laughs> no, now I'm thinking but, about
0: fruits and veggies.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully you guys get, get healthy. Uh, I hate to hear that about Tommy that certainly hurts uh, city's chance at beating Arsenal this time of round. Um, if he, if he's out, he was cert- such a great help in the first match <laughs> really was kind of the difference maker for city, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, a, a different Arsenal squad and a different City squad are going to meet here in a matter of about a month. Um, I And I, I can't wait for that one. The, the, the game City plays against Liverpool uh, on April 1st is just – it's one of those games I already expect to lose. It's, it's the classic City loss, um, you know, look look really good and then come out and lose to a team that is good but you shouldn't lose to. Um, and it, it's it's the classic game that most Salah is going to have, like, two goals, three assists. Uh, it, it, it's good. It's you heard it here first, write it down, hold me to it. I I'm, I'm just predicting that now two weeks out um, that Liverpool are going to beat city because that's just what city do. No comment. Uh, my, no comment.
1: my bold prediction here, uh, you know, man city it wasn't the first match of the season, but one of the, um the it was the first match after the international world cup break, uh losing to the Brentford Bees. Um, you know, they, they could get stung again in the very last match of the season. It could be a brace for Brentford. And, you know, if that's that's what happens and you get sworn by goals, up the bees.
2: Good good news is no one even cares about the premiership in on the blue side of Manchester. Like just stay in the top four, don't care. Not now you've focused on that. Erling Haaland even said it as much. He's like, they, they've done that already. They didn't bring me here to win the Premier League. They brought me here to win the Champions League. That's that's what we're trying to do. That's that's, a, that's what City needs to do. I don't know what Pep will do if we do win it. Like, I, I don't know what else he has to do if we win the Champions League. So I'm a little bit iffy on if we, you know, knock on wood, are, uh, are going to win the Champions League. I, I hope Pep stays around for a little bit. Not something I was saying at the beginning of the season, by the way.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean to you know we made this point on earlier seasons as well, where you know you guys are juggling obviously EPL title race, Champions League title race, which I mean if anything, you know Man City versus Bayern is kind of you know that's a final worthy matchup that you have to get through um, to be in the clear path for Champions League, um, but you know you're also juggling the FA Cup as well, um, so you know it, it's that what we were alluding to earlier um, in some of our podcasts where, you know, Arsenal, we certainly have our injury scares right now, which has hurt our depth in certain areas, but we can just focus on the EPL, which is pretty nice. Whereas you guys, as of right now, don't have too much injury scares and your biggest strength, other than the great talent you have, is the amazing depth you have. So, um, you know, and I think that is the type of depth you need Uh, for you to go all the way to the final um, in all three competitions.
2: Yeah. It seems like the city has gotten past kind of their, you know, I guess month and a half of just, you know, the, the, the niggles that they've gone through and when they're fully healthy and clicking on all cylinders, I mean it. It doesn't matter who's out there. Julian Alvarez is playing white right wing. Uh, Phil Foden, we got you know Grealish on the left. Sometimes, sometimes that's Julian Alvarez. Um, we played Bernardo Silva on right wing. What What matters is it. City is playing a little bit different, more more akin to how they were playing at the beginning of the season. Not as possession heavy. Uh, a lot more get it up the pitch. Get Holland in behind. Uh, countering type of a uh, football that we've seen from Liverpool in the past couple of seasons. Um, but yeah, C- city certainly have the FA cup to worry about that's coming up here in uh, a-, a month and a couple of days, we play Sheffield United, who that, <laughs> that, that they're in a tricky situation because their two best players are on loan from city. Uh, and that, I don't think the FA cup is going to let them play. Uh, they were supposed to be sitting down with city today to see if city would allow those guys to play, but I don't think it's Manchester city's uh, say whether or not those guys get to play. Um, I'm not sure what city would want in that situation either. Like you don't want your own guys hurting your own guys, but it'd probably be good for Tommy Lloyd and um, you know, the, the, the other Loney to get some work up against man city. So uh, something to monitor there. I, I don't really see that being uh, something they focus on. That's probably one that they start with roughly the starting squad and then are subbing out by, you know, halftime if things are going about the way they've been. Um, but it, it, that's just a cool little collision of worlds.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, in the FA Cup as well, uh, it's it's shaping up to potentially be a Manchester Derby final with, uh, you know, Man United is uh, facing Brighton in the semifinal, So that's definitely a toss up. You know, we've seen how red hot Brighton are. Um, they're having the best season, I think, in their club's history, if I uh, remember correctly. Um, so, you know, that that's certainly a toss-up match there. But uh, it would be pretty cool to see a Manchester Derby in the FA Cup final. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that it will be interesting how that plays into the growing pressure Um, for Man City with the Champions League and the EPL title race.
2: Rob, do you think Brighton are big Jay-Z fans at all?
1: Uh, I could see it.
2: I mean, it's right there, Brighton and Hove. So they're...
1: I think they got to be big Jay Z fans. You don't just put him in there.
2: H to the V to the
1: Well, I mean, I, I gotta say, uh, Fifty Cent made a point on a podcast recently that Jay Z has never at one time been the number one rapper. So I don't know if you want to curse Brighton like that, man.
2: Well, Brighton have
1: also never been the number one in the Premier League, so that 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 tracks. Well, uh, I, I will say Brighton versus Man U uh i think in manchester they're used to Seagull shitting on them so uh it you could see that in the fa Cup semi-final here coming up i think man u has got 99 problems <laughs>
2: and i think the winner what? of that game will be laughing straight to the bank
0: speaking but, um, of
1: speaking of laughing straight to the bank you deserve an and, encore yes yeah and speaking speaking of laughing straight to the bank and 99 problems the the FA Cup quarterfinal between Man United and Fulham, if you guys have not seen the highlights or watched it, it was an absolutely nuts game. That was Fulham other than, you know, they're fighting for a UCL squad um, or a UCL spot, excuse me. They, uh, I mean, the, the FA Cup was, you know, that was their title for this year that they're going for. And uh, the way I'll sum it up here, short and sweet, is it was uh, three red cards in 30 seconds, two Manchester United goals in two minutes, and one massive crushing defeat for Fulham FC.
2: <laughs> three red cards in 30 seconds sounds a lot of fun. <laughs> what is it? Did they hire Urban Meyer for that squad over the break? What happened? Come on cons.
1: No, no undergraduates for harms in this football match. <laughs> it reminds me of a
0: hurricanes game. I went to in college with, with Nasser and it was, it was like with five minutes into the game. There was a full line brawl and like three people from each team were, were sent to the box or, or, or penalized at least. And you can only send two to the box at once, but everybody got into it. And it was, I've never seen that in a soccer game, but this sounds like it was
1: pretty darn close. I mean, general rule of thumb here. I'm I'm certainly not the smartest man alive, but don't push the referee. Like, well, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what what are you what are you what the hell are you expecting from? The, the referee. You think he's gonna overturn your call? Come That's on, it's like something that Come you on. should
0: understand at age six. It's like don't push the referee, but I grown think- men have to still be reminded of it. <laughs>
2: That's some some violence assisted review. The VAR for Manu. <laughs> well, speaking of VAR, it also affected El Clasico
0: uh, this past weekend too. Um, it, it sounded like the uh, they were needed to come in on Sunday uh, as Bill Lumberg requested, and well, VAR did its job and took away a goal from Real Madrid that would have given them the lead in the second half, eighty <clears throat> second minute. Um, was determined to be offside it would, would have been the only goal that Madrid scored in that game because the only tally on their side was an own goal by Barcelona but then Barca pulling off the two-to-one win in stoppage time as uh beating Thibaut Courtois uh in the 92nd minute was Frank Kessie, uh who I'm assuming is is French because his name is Frank with a c um but I just wanted to to Take a shot at Real because they deserved it. They deserve to lose to their rival after making me sad in in the UCL, and uh, that that's pretty much it. They they deserve to, to lose in spectacular fashion such as that. And I'm just really happy that it happened. So that that that's that's my piece on that. Of course, um, one of my best friends growing up was a Barca fan. So if I was gonna pick a side in that rivalry, I'd pick Barca. And they made it easy this time because just just still salt got a salty taste in my mouth from UCL boys. Just just got to admit it.
2: Same. I did not watch El Trashico, which I have called it since uh, Ronaldo and Messi have not been on those squads. They have not been interesting matches for me to watch. Although I like Vinny Jr. He's a lot of fun to watch. Other than that, yeah. Yeah, He's fun to watch until he's
0: pumping in multiple goals on your team to erase a two nothing deficit at Anfield and then I would had
2: enough of Vinicius jr or or uh him and Rodrigo erasing a two goal lead in the last five minutes of being on the verge of playing Liverpool for that UCL championship (laughs) so uh we we have both been touched on the dull by that guy however he, he is really good and he's really young
0: Yeah, but I'm glad he lost on Sunday. And that's what matters on this show.
2: (laughs) Of course, I mean, they're still in the UCL. City draws whoever wins out of Chelsea and Real Madrid, who are the last two squads to knock uh, City out of the last two UCLs. So uh, I I smell revenge if we can get past Bayern.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, just looking at the fixtures and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly going to be a very, very exciting next four weeks. Obviously with the international break for two weeks here, uh, you know, things will slow down. But um, if, if anything, we talked about the English press before, uh, they're going to ramp it up and milk it for every second. And, um, you know, it, it's certainly going to be uh, you know, must watch football here uh, down the stretch of next month, month and a half, and I, I'm here for it.
2: I cannot before, get off mute. <laughs> but <Go> ahead, Alex. <laughs> I was just going to say, but before before we're done with the call, um, I, one one thing I wanted to toss out there just real quick, and more so just to get Rob's uh, thoughts on it. We we touched on it a little bit in our group chat, but. Um, what are your thoughts on Thierry Henry emerging as maybe the favorite to take the U.S. Uh, managerial job? Um, obviously, he had a really big career here um, in the in the MLS after his Premier League days. But um, well what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I know how I feel about it, but you being an Arsenal fan, I think would know Thierry Henry maybe better than I will.
1: Sure, I mean, I, I certainly don't think it would be a bad move for the U S men's national team. I mean, Terry knows uh, what it's like to win at the highest level um, for his country, uh, which, you know, when we're switching over to international football, that is its own game compared to domestic club football. Right. So, you know, having someone at the helm that knows what it takes and has seen the highs of the highs, but has also seen the lowest of the lows, right. Where, you know, he was on that France squad that essentially got laughed out of South Africa. Um, and, you know, a lot of so he's seen uh, great coaching and great managerial um, skill, uh, as well as great players and great chemistry win tournaments. But he's also seen the dark side of all those things um, and how it can implode uh, very talented squads, which. You know, I think the U.S. does have a talented squad. They have a lot of young talent that is growing and playing together, uh, which is fantastic where, you know, I, I think he'd be a good choice. Um, you know, this is just my personal opinion. Take it or leave it. I genuinely think that the U.S. needs a U.S., an American coach. And the reason why is because um, – You you know, they're that much more passionate, uh, which sometimes can, it can bite you in the heel, but when you have a coach that is, you know, they are emotionally invested in that team doing well, um, you know, I I think it just adds a little bit of um, extra edge uh, to that squad. You know, perfect example with England, Gareth Southgate has by far been the most successful England manager of modern times, the last three or four decades. No questions asked. Um, and, you know, we, we had, you know, Fabio Capello. We had uh, Roy Hodgson, who was an English coach. But we had a lot of other foreign coaches that were these big ticket coaches. But, you know, they're just looking for their next paycheck. And they wasted England's, you know, golden generation talent where, you know, I think the perfect candidate other than uh, Thierry, Thierry Henry, excuse me, is Jesse Marsh. Uh, I think Jesse March is a great coach. It's unfortunate what happened to him at Leeds. Uh, him getting out, you know, it is a ruthless league. Um, fans are fickle. And, you know, he wasn't winning enough games with them. But, uh, you know, the, the team and the culture that he was building there, as well as bringing in, I, which I thought was genius, bringing in essentially the U.S. men's uh, midfield and one of their attackers with Aronson there to all play together at a club level. That's only going to help them at the international level. So my personal vote, I would say Jesse Marsh over Thierry Henry. But, you know, if Thierry is the man, uh, uh, I think you can't go wrong with that.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, The only reason I am not hell-bent on a United States manager is because the United States is not known for its (laughs) its, its soccer management. Uh, Certainly some of the you know, the, the big five leagues, I would say produce actual good international managers. Um, and just for, just for, uh, you know, full picture here, Thierry Henry seems like he's kind of in uh, a two headed race with Patrick Vieira for the United States job. Alexi Lalas has endorsed Patrick Vieira for the job. Uh, Patrick Vieira obviously having a little bit more, um, coaching experience, um, however i i think either one of them would be really good and it might even uh you know get, give give a little bit of uh incentive for some of the kids locally here in the united states to want to wind up on the men's team to pursue uh to pursue soccer and uh you know go learn from a legend that i'm sure maybe maybe they watched when they were younger i know i did i know we did but um I don't know if they would really know who Thierry Henry is from, from his playing days in D.C., um, but it's, it's certainly interesting. And I'm, I'm at least happy that the United States seems to have uh, have their sights set a little bit higher than they have the last couple of hirings. Um, and I, I think the United States finally, as you alluded to, has some Premier League talent on the, the roster, you know, top to bottom. Um, and it, it should be a, an easier job from a talent perspective for a, a new manager to take over and hopefully succeed um, a little bit more with, if anything, can we just score a goal, you know, in, in, in the, uh, you know, a couple of goals in the world cup this, this uh, go around. I think it's important that somebody from the outside comes in because the U S
0: soccer is just an absolute mess. Organizationally, organizationally from top to bottom. U.S. soccer is an absolute mess. And U.S. soccer with the World Cup team was at its best, I think, when Jurgen Klinsmann was the manager. He was from Germany. Didn't come up through the U.S. Soccer Federation system. And you saw the kind of success they had until the wheels fell off kind of at the tail end there. And I think bringing in somebody like it, Patrick Vieira or Thierry Henry would have a similar effect. And it, w- it would definitely rejuvenate a little bit of my optimism as a an American soccer fan because – I just don't have a lot of faith in what U.S. soccer has here internally. And, you know, MLS kind of speaks for itself. It's a minor, minor league.
1: You know, uh, my opinion on it, honestly, is kind of, I think the ideal thing would be a combination of what we just talked about where, um, you you know, because Thierry Henry doesn't really have much, you know, head coaching experience, right? But, you know, most recently on the international level, he was an assistant manager for the Belgian squad, which, you know, that was his own issues where I think he certainly helped them a lot over the years with their golden generation. They're very unlucky with certain injuries to their squad and players aging out. Um, But I could certainly see, you know, let's... And just to clarify here, the reason I keep hammering Jesse Marsh... I wouldn't endorse any other U.S. coach other than Jesse Marsh, based on seeing what he has done in the Premiership. Sure, he's green, um, but you know you, you want someone to that can understand, you know, the American Soccer Federation how things are done, but also understands how European clubs play and how they're structured and how they're ran efficiently. Um, you know, I, I could see Jesse Marsh coming in as a the, the main manager and then having Thierry Henry as one of your assistant managers, I think that's the best case scenario where you, you still get that star studded power and listen, the U S has the money for it. Like, you know um, so like, I'm not sure what the, if there are any caps on managers uh, salaries per se, but, you know, I'd love to see, you know, Jesse Marsh who is currently looking for a job coming as the main manager and you know have a Thierry Henry be an assistant manager, whereas Patrick Vieira, you know, he's gonna want that head manager role. Where he he'd be good there for sure. But you know Thierry Henry, as you pointed out, Alex, he has that DC United connection as well, so he can also help translate you know the European style as well as the American style. And like on he, you know, he has a, a foot in both. And so does Jesse Mars. So in my opinion, take it or leave it. I think that's what the U S should do, but we will see. We've seen crazier things.
2: If we're, if we were going to go American, I'd rather see a two headed combo of Lando and uh, Clintinho take over. Uh, I think it, you know, what, what can go worse, you know, let, let those two guys take it. I mean, even Tim Howard, uh, I, I think I would be a proponent of just with, the desk work that he's done. I think he's very intelligent. Uh, You know, of course it all comes down to how well can you actually coach and, you know, manage a squad day to day. Uh, That's, that's a big part of it. But those three guys that I just named um, were the, the heyday for United States soccer in our lifetime. And I I think would give, uh, you know, also kind of that, that little bit of a boost to, maybe a somewhat disappointing world cup, although still, still happy mostly with how it went just kind of lackluster on the offensive end towards the end of it. Um, You know, I, I don't, I don't know how much Jesse Marsh really gets the, you know, gets the folks going you you and I, and every, you know, premier league fans know about him. If, If I didn't know anything about the premier league, I don't know if I would have ever heard the name Jesse Marsh personally.
1: Sure. Uh, That's a fair point. I haven't considered Lando um, and Clint, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think similarly, I think there has to be some form of a combo where you have, you know, you, you have the main manager who will run the day to day, but then you have some form of, you know, grizzled veteran player that's played at the highest club levels and international levels and has done well, be that for the U S or for another country um, as kind of that assistant manager, but they, you know, they, they like that fire for the squad and, you know, the main manager can lean on them uh, as well in their experience. So I I think it has to be a combo in some form. Um, But as you mentioned, you know, great players don't always make great managers. So that's really, um, you know, the task at hand that we're the U S is looking for.
0: I just would like to to see us back on the level we were in kind of the late two thousands, early twenty tens, and even even beyond that, because that you know I, I my U.S. soccer fandom goes back to you know two thousand two. Uh, that was the first World Cup I remember watching, and we were we were a bit of an unknown commodity there, and we surprised a lot of people, and then disappointed in two thousand six. <clears throat> excuse me. And Rob Rob Bradley coached in twenty ten. Clinsman only coached the team for one one World Cup, but, um, you know, it was, it was a fun World Cup and 2010 was also a fun World Cup in which we advanced. Um, so I just I just want to get back to that, because even though we advanced this year, it seems like the the zeitgeist around the, the team and the, the the games they were playing was just a little bit a little bit less enthusiastic than 2010 and 2014. And I think a lot of that had to do with who the coach was
2: yeah playing playing not to lose versus playing not to, uh, playing to win uh was really the enemy uh, that, that there for um uh burkhalter here at the end of his his tenure um i think if he would have just maybe been aggressive with his strategy maybe he keeps it. of course you know the the ongoing saga with the renas uh, i think would have just had too much detraction. and i don't know how Gio geo plays into the us uh, future now either with just a lot of the stink around him and his family uh, that that they've put on the, the, you know, just kind of inside the American uh, team and the building. So um, there's certainly more to the issue than just a manager, but uh, the United States has a good young talent base now. And um, even if Vieira or Henri aren't the guys who were coaching in four, eight, 12 years, when these guys are, are, are grizzled veterans, uh, whoever takes over next is going to be responsible with giving us kind of the, the the lift into our prime. I would say probably in eight years with with these guys as they're hitting their you know late twenties, early thirties, um, you know ma- maxing out, hit, hitting their peak of their career. Uh, we just need someone to do that right.
1: Yeah, uh, agreed. Because uh, to your point, right? You know, I'd alluded to Belgium earlier where you know, their golden generation was deemed as, uh, you know, wasted. Uh, The English golden generation was wasted due to managerial decisions that, you know, prioritize their own skin rather than the team and the country actually winning where, you know, I I think you guys, this is your golden generation um, of players. And as you mentioned, Alex, you know, this next move for a manager is going to be vitally important to, you know, the next four to eight years. And, you know, just building that squad depth, that squad chemistry, and ultimately the culture. Um, it, it's really, really unfortunate, the whole Gio Reyna fallout, um, just because he is such a talented player. And, you know, it, if anything, it's it's just really sad the way his family has kind of inserted themselves um, on that situation, where I, I think if it was him by himself, it wouldn't nearly have gotten blown out of proportion the way it has. But, um, you know, it, it's just very frustrating. But, you know, with the right manager, I think those things can be uh, repaired. But also, as, you know, Gio is such a young – like, he's still a kid, right? Like, isn't he, like, 18, 19
2: Uh, he's he's not very old. He's not. Yeah, he's not very old. He's
1: he's younger than twenty-two or three. Okay, right. So like, he's still very young. It's one of those things where like you see it across sports, right? Where you know he's still a young man, right? Where twenty years old, right? His his parents kind of insert themselves where you know the older he gets, he will probably have a backdoor conversation with his family, like, "Hey, guys, like I'm I'm a man. I can handle my stuff. Like I don't need you to be doing, you know." drawing, drawing attention from me off the field, off the pitch, let me do my own thing. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that relationship can be uh, repaired with, you know, the right manager, but, you know, it, it will take a great managerial mind to do that. And, um, you know, just focusing on those players and getting those off field distractions, um, you know, nipped in the bud
0: got a few minutes left here on episode number eight of the right hosh and this is this is normally where we just kind of open the floor to, to spicy takes I, I had mine a little bit earlier before we got into the U.S. national team coach discussion uh, I was just kind of shitting on Real Madrid for a minute but that's not very spicy I don't think it would even qualify um, just because it was a game they lost and that uh, I was mad that that they knocked my team out but this is just this is that 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 kind of part where it is Rob's spicy takes because he's the one who usually has them. But Alex, of course, open to you as well if uh, if you had any burning burning things to get out before we we uh, we ash this show.
2: Dude, I, I don't know if I have spicy takes. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea scored thirty nine goals this year. Man City scored 13 goals in the last two matches. That's one-third of the entire output of Chelsea. I have nothing to be spicy about right now, if I'm being honest. So, um, all, all to you, Mr. 8-point lead in the Premier League table. How spicy are you today?
1: I mean, to be fair, the, the really the spiciest news since our last podcast, I mean, it, it was that Fulham-Man match with the three red cards in 30 seconds, which we already went over. Um I mean, that that was just nuts. But, I mean, Chelsea, you spend a billion pounds and you still have Kai Havertz as your striker. What the hell are you doing? And, like, that's that's just nuts. It literally doesn't make sense. There, there are rumors that this could be remedied, which I think would be a very smart move, and I would be very afraid of Chelsea this next season. Uh, there are rumors that they're trying to bring back uh, Lukaku, who that guy is a gold machine and Imagine Lukaku as the striker with the current Chelsea team. How star-studded it is around him! That's that's scary, and that's something I would not look forward to. But I mean, Chelsea, what the hell are you guys doing with Kai Havertz at striker?
2: It's because Joel Felix gets a red card every thirty seconds he plays.
1: Yes, it's either one red card or a red card or two crossbar hits.
2: I I like Joel Felix a lot, though, Uh, and I think that's probably, you know, uh, I I don't know what his loan situation is. I don't know if that's a loan-to-buy option or just, you know, get us through the season type of thing. But um, didn't they try on Lukaku like two years ago and then send him right back to Serie A?
1: Yeah, so Lukaku, to be honest, it it was just really unfortunate. Like, he was put – He was a pawn, you know, these are, these clubs are all businesses. Right. And, you know, the EPL, the fans are very fickle. Right. And, you know, this was coming off of, you know, keep in mind, this is coming off of Chelsea winning it all in the champions league and winning all most of the trophies in football that they could win. Um, So, you know, that level of expectation, you know, who Lukaku was still, a great striker, but, you know, he just wasn't good enough given the, you know, expectations that was, um, put in there and, you know, he just got ping pong between teams, which I mean, listen, you can be the greatest striker of your country, but like, if you're being ping pong between teams, you know, (laughs) once every six months to a year, you know, it it takes time for you to gel with that team and understand the scheme, understand the manager, um, And, you know, I I think Lukaku was just – he suffered from, you know, wrong place, wrong time, where, you know, I think he's still a threat. Uh, Hopefully, he doesn't have uh, nagging injuries um, issues still there. But, um, I I mean, with the squad around him, I mean, I I think Lukaku at this point coming in at a smaller price tag um, would be a good signing for Chelsea. But that's just my opinion.
0: Just any sort of fresh blood might be a good sign for Chelsea. The way the way they've played this season—that's a spicy take. I don't know. <laughs> spicy <laughs> as all spicy as all get today.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean the the spiciest news I've had to say, um, really at this point, is still a positions twelve to twenty. Um, it's it, it's it's a gambler's dice throw here of who's going to get relegated. Love to see the Scummers of Southampton still on the bottom. Good riddance, go back down, you Scummers. But uh, I mean, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, Leicester City, West Ham, Burnmouth, and Southampton. I mean, you know they're, they're all within, you know, four or five points of each other, and it, it's going to be a mad, desperate scramble. Um, so that's something to look out for, and. Um, you know, the race is not over until the very last week. So that's something that I will love to tune into some of those matches where those teams are just fighting for survival. Well, we would say enjoy the matches, but no EPL
0: for two weeks. Uh, it'll resume April 1st with the much anticipated Manchester City versus liverpool match um of course enjoy the international competition enjoy watching the namesake of this show erling holland play for his country and of course for those of you who have made it to the end of this show i forgot to mention at the top a very happy iranian new year to everybody it is uh the namesake of our show of our studios would have uh would have had a very great day today speaking of spicy go ahead and eat some persian food uh for for listening to this show and celebrate the new year in in true fashion so thanks guys for joining me today um, or hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, any, any parting thoughts before we, we, we hit the button.
2: Now I got the world swinger from my nuts. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Tying it all together. <laughs>
0: excellent excellent great show today guys i always appreciate it and stay tuned for an episode of the right hash and then in another week or so another episode of the right hosh as we pontificate as we always do once again from the Nasser alexander kucheki studios
2: Back up in your ass with the resurrection is the group than an erection that shows
0: At a t-